I didn't tell this story at the, uh, the first service. I thought because of time and uh, because uh, it seemed to break the moment, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, but I'm going to chance it now. So uh, I was um, running uh, on Monday evening, uh, ran up to, uh, to Clint just on that path there uh, that runs along the car park as you head out to Nimmin's Point. And uh, I did have this talk on my mind uh, out of the ordinary uh, and, and I saw something uh, on the ground uh, just off to the side of the path, more in the uh, like the brambles and bushes and, and that type of thing, the flora and fauna. Uh, and um, it was this white circle, little white circle. And I, I thought it was just sprayed on with the type of paint you use on a football pitch, little white circle, and uh, carry on running. Then another little white circle just off to the side, another one, another one. I thought, goodness me, that's a strange place to take a penalty kick from. Uh, so... <laughs> so I went and had a closer look because it was out of the ordinary. And what was in the circle? Dog poo. Yeah. <laughs> I carried on running. I'd learnt my lesson. Yes. So if you dog owners out there, clear it up. Yeah, because someone's got the job of spraying little white circles around it, which can't be much fun at all. So... You can see why it broke the moment, can't you? If you, did, if you did get a holiday this summer, then you may well have enjoyed a holiday read, whether you're into thrillers, chillers, or, or romance. If you're anything like me, it's an important part of, of winding down. And I've got to say, I read a great book on holiday. It wasn't a, a Christian novel. It wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea, but it got me hooked. It was called Amazing Tales for Making Men out of boys. So I thought that was a great fit for me and it made no apology for what it was. It was just a riot of a book as it sped through history looking at the most outstanding acts of bravery. And I learnt some history. I mean, where was I in my GCSEs? I can't be listening because this sounded new. This sounded exciting to me. From Nelson and the Battle of Trafalgar to the Cockleshell Heroes, from the charge of the Light Brigade to the safe return of the Apollo 13, from the Penley lifeboat men to the Battle of Britain, and many more. It was all threaded together with the story of Robert Scott, who died valiantly defeated but defiant on his way back from the South Pole. These events, these heroes, were out of the ordinary. And in this series, we're going to tell three great stories coming from the Bible. We're in the, the Old Testament, the first half. And they're more than stories because they're truth and we can learn something. And they start off with an ordinary individual who sees and becomes and experiences out of the ordinary because of what God does. And this first story I want to tell is a story of Caleb which starts in Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to tell this story. Then as we hit on defining moments for him, I want to connect them with us. And we're going straight into this. And to give you some background, Israel, that is the, the collective name given to the people who were descendants of, of Abraham and chosen by God. They had been living as slaves in Egypt. 430 years had, had passed by. And then Moses, called by God, walked into Pharaoh's courts and demanded their release. It was a, an epic struggle involving 10 plagues, but God and Moses won. It was now two years after Israel had marched out of Egypt. They'd crossed the Red Sea and watched the pursuing Egyptian army drown. And they were living rough in the desert. And we're talking a lot 
of people here. In the Bible, at this point in history, Israel was estimated at 600,000 men, which doesn't include wives, children, and cattle. And they were surviving. They were living off what the land offered. And now they were complaining. And God was angry because they kept thinking back to what life was like under the Egyptians, at least in part, not the slavery part, but the, the food part. And Moses, their leader, he was also down with the, the weight of their complaints as he stood between them and God. And in Numbers chapter 13, we get the first sighting of Caleb. And he comes on the scene because of the land, the land that God had lined up for Israel to win over and inhabit. It was called Canaan. And Moses chose to send spies in first, to spy it out, to see if they could take it or not. And there were 12, 12 spies, one of which was Caleb. Now, one of my desires in life as a, a Christian is to live an ordinary life really well. And with this, I think I've realized that I, I'm, I'm not going to be a sporting hero. I'm not going to be a, a TV celebrity. I haven't had the call from Strictly Come Dancing, not this year. And when you Google Dan Bennett, I don't come up first. Although a story about a wild Asian mammal on the loose in Howe Zone isn't that far down the list. But I'm not even sure... I want to be known for that. And this is where we get to play. Get to play with the phrase, out of the ordinary. What does that really mean? What did it mean for, for Caleb? And what does it mean for me and for you? And one of the things that I think it means is that we live ready. We live ready, ready for God to use us in our everyday ordinary lives and that can only happen if our faith what we know and have experienced of God has a, a daily impact on us not just on a Sunday but more importantly from Monday to Saturday it has an impact in the nuts and bolts and often the mundane of our lives and even if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're not too sure where you're at with God then I want to suggest that you just start involving God. Just start involving him in your everyday life, Monday to Saturday. Yes, Sunday, being here at church, it should be a, a magnetic and inspiring experience with music and with the atmosphere, with the talk, with the, the size and the, and the sound of it. But it's actually in the one-to-one -one with God, in your home, at work, in the, in the office, with your, with your family, with your friends, in your leisure time, that God wants you to experience him. That's what he is waiting for that's what he desires the most and I could tell you a, a number of stories of people who started coming here who were attracted to to something although they weren't sure what that something was and then they've gone on a, an alpha a course and at that point they didn't believe but they've started praying started talking to well they weren't totally sure who they were talking to as they were going about what was normal for them in their lives and those prayers that they were praying caused their faith to increase and also started to change them, change their outlook on life, their ability to cope, causing them to be more at peace, to enjoy their days, causing them to become more compassionate and, and generous. And soon after they have realized the effect, or more to the point, the person who was changing them was Jesus. And with that in mind, we've got a, an Alpha course starting next Monday evening you can sign up for it at the back or have a talk to me or or Simon and if you're not a Christian just give it a shot you've got nothing to lose and I think we can start following 
We can start lining our lives up with the ways of Jesus, start living an ordinary life really well before we fully believe in Jesus. And out of the ordinary is that. It's saying, I want to give my best to this and try to be at my best. Having a a daily desire to be who God created us to be, more alive, more human, more aware of the people who we're doing life with. And if we're giving our best to God, then we're ready for something out of the ordinary to happen. Because I also have a, a desire not just to live in the ordinary, but to experience more of God, this extraordinary, this supernatural God who we can't see with our eyes, but we can know. And we can be alert to what he's doing as he transforms us and as he uses us to have an impact on the people and the world around us. There's a a great quote from Abraham Lincoln, the American president who led the fight against slavery in the US. He said, I will study and get ready and perhaps my chance will come. Now I would argue that in the everyday, my chance comes every time. I get out of bed in the morning because that's when who I am makes a a difference to everyone that I get into conversation with. But within that, there may well come defining moments where you know this day isn't like the others. This is going to be big. And that was Caleb's experience. He was giving his his best to, to God and he was ready and his chance came. He was chosen as a spy and Moses, the leader, gave them the the heads up on what he was expecting of them as they ventured out into, into Canaan. In Numbers 13, starting in verse 17, Moses said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruits of the land. It was going to be a trip of about 500 miles. And the land, it wasn't large. It was about 150 miles long by 60 miles wide. And it took them, took the, the spies 40 days to, to spy it out. They got back with their report, which started off positive. They said... We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And that's where it gets negative. The descendants of Anak, they were a race of abnormally large people. It's thought that the family of Goliath, that hulk of a a man that David would face later in the Old Testament, he may have descended from these people. The spies were talking giants. They were talking heavy military resistance. They were infecting the the people with the, the doubts that had taken hold of them. Then Caleb, he knew that his chance had come He silenced the people and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The Bible doesn't say what personality type Caleb was, whether he was an introvert or an extrovert, whether he was outspoken or understated. But in my experience, that doesn't make much difference. In fact, it can be introverts, those who don't often speak out, who cause you to sit up and take notice when they feel strongly about something because you may not have heard them speak in months. Caleb was filled with faith. 
He knew that if God had promised it, if God had pointed them at it, then it would happen. Giants or no giants. And he wasn't alone in that. One other spy named Joshua. The Joshua who would later take on leading the people after Moses' death. He was with Caleb. But the other ten spies, they weren't convinced. It wasn't faith, but fear that was speaking the loudest. They said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And not content at that, they twisted the the reality of what they faced. And this is where we get that classic line that, that preachers love, where they've lost perspective and said, we seem like grasshoppers. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. And this is uh, another moment that I want to break with the, the story because of how we, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see situations and, and difficulties that we, we may be facing. Do we think we're like grasshoppers, small, green, jumpy, with giants towering over our every move? In my office here in the church, I've got a, a pinboard on the wall behind my desk and there are a number of pictures on that board because I find that what I sense from God is, is often best communicated in a, in a picture and one of those pictures is of a, a chameleon and I know with grasshoppers and, and chameleons this talk is starting to sound like a bug's life but this chameleon it came as a, a challenge to me in a situation that I was facing if you know anything about chameleons and uh, I'm sure you do They have coloured pigments in their skin that enable them to match their surroundings. If it's green, they go green. If it's brown, they go brown, which means that they're camouflaged. They merge in. You can't see them. And I realise that with that picture, that on occasion, that can be me. Changing colour, matching my surroundings, going with the the dominant person or opinion or or culture. And often that isn't for wrong reasons. It can come out of a a desire to be relevant, to be liked, to go with the flow and not to cause tension. That wasn't something that we left behind us in our school days. It can remain with us and and dictate our lives as adults. And I read uh, a long time ago, in my Bible, in the New Testament, what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans 12, verse 2, when he said, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God calls us not to conform, not to keep changing colour, merging in like a, a chameleon, but to be transformed. To become more like Jesus, so that we can have something of the mind of Christ, so that we can know what God's will is, and we can live it out in our lives. That is who we are as followers of of Jesus. Consistently and actively putting ourselves in a place where we can be transformed, so that we can then, in turn, impact and transform the culture around us. Now, I don't think that means we should be constantly the opposite of everything. Be off colour in every situation, in every conversation. Taking our not being light as a measure of our passion for God. For me, that isn't about passion. It's more about being annoying. And within our, and within our faith and our following of Jesus, there is much that we can encourage and celebrate in people's lives. And much that we can enjoy within culture. But there are also moments where to merge is wrong. 
And first and foremost, we're not meant to be people pleasers. We're meant to be God pleasers. Like Caleb, when it was 10 against the one. And the challenge is, are we set on pleasing God, even if it means standing alone? Are we prepared to be misunderstood or or criticized? Because that's what Caleb did. And we're going to have opportunities where mostly through our actions and sometimes through our words, we'll have those times that define us as Christians. And we're not grasshoppers with giants towering over us. Because from God's perspective, what he sees, those giants are reduced to ants. And we're not chameleons changing colour to merge in with culture to the point where our following of Jesus looks the same as what everyone else is doing. We're Christ followers. And that should look different. Going back to the story and Caleb and Joshua against the ten. And now they're against all the people, 600,000 plus And God is angry. It shouldn't have come to this. The instruction was to take the land, not to spy it out and to become fearful. And Moses, their leader, is close to being stoned to death because Israel, the people, have become so militant, so set against this. And God was about to destroy them. But Moses, he prayed a remarkable prayer that God then appeared to change his mind and pulled back and forgave the people as they turned from the land. But that wasn't the end of it. Lessons needed to be learned. And for all the people 20 years old or over who had resisted and complained against God, they were going to die. Because each day that they spent spying out the land became a year extra that they would spend in the desert. And it would be even quicker for the, for the 10 spies as they were struck down with a plague. It would only be Caleb and Joshua who would enter the land. Because, and you get these words from God in Numbers 14, verse 24. It says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And we're going to use that phrase. It's so powerful that Caleb had a a different spirit. But we're going to save it and use it at the finish. And as the story continues, it goes into a a time now where you don't hear anything of Caleb as Israel moved from location to location within the desert for 40 years. And a whole generation, the the people who stopped short of taking the land, they died off leaving Owen Caleb and and Joshua, the, the two spies who gave the positive report alive. And what I find remarkable about that time is that Caleb remained faithful. Even though he could have gone bitter, Because it wasn't his mistake. It wasn't his lack of faith. And he lived all that time knowing he got it right, but no one had listened. And he remained embedded with God's people, keeping himself healthy in his body, in his mind, and passionate in his following, waiting for the day of his return to the land that that God had promised. And that is important for us because we will live a lot of life that is seemingly ordinary, where we get no real mention. We may even go through situations where our voice or who we are doesn't seem to be getting heard or or seen. And we could feel overlooked or or bypassed. And the question is, are we prepared to wait? To wait, not passively, because that isn't waiting as God would intend. In fact, waiting passively isn't waiting at all. It's letting what God's got for you slip away slowly. Another great quote from Abraham Lincoln, seeing as we're on a a roll with him, he said, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, 
I'd spend six sharpening my axe. Caleb spent 40 years sharpening his axe. And we get to see proof of it further down the road. When we're waiting, when we're in the ordinary, don't go bitter. We need to continue to give it our best. Investing into what God's doing, both in our lives and in the lives of others. Investing into all that God has entrusted into our care. Investing into our character, our physical health, our family, our relationships, our gifts and abilities. Serving and giving ourselves to what is going on here in this local church. So that we're ready and we're filled with faith. Because it's what we do in the waiting that matters most when we're active in what is more out of the ordinary. Now there is one final defining moment in Caleb's life. After 40 years living embedded with God's people, 40 years of of sharpening his acts, of keeping himself healthy in his body, in his mind, and passionate in his following, waiting for the day of his return to the land that God had promised. At 85 years old, Caleb said, give me one more hill. At least that's my version of it. His is longer. It is in Joshua 14, verses 10 to 12. And he said, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. What a speech. In his old age, Caleb was ready. Physically, mentally, faithfully. And that didn't just happen. It started when he was young. And he must have invested into it when he was 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. And that meant he was still, still wanting one more hill when he was old. And that's not to discount anyone who, who starts their time with God later in life. It's just to say, when we started with God, that is what it was, a start. And then we follow and pursue and wrestle and learn and grow and get knocked over and get back up again in a lifetime of, of devotion. And I've had this ridiculous idea that I may just do, and I need to do it now because I'm not getting any younger, just gone 40 myself, and it has affected me. The idea is this, I'm going to write a letter to myself. I'm going to write it down now and then put it in an envelope and keep it and open it when I'm 70 or something like that. And in it there's going to be headlines of what I want to be when I get there. Because I can see things now that I may become dulled to then. Whether through bitterness or disappointment or, I don't know, a resistance to what is new. The thought that I've seen it all before. And the younger generation coming through are just loud and proud and couldn't possibly lead me after all my years. Age. Age, it can wear us down. Our patience, our tolerance, our encouragement and release of what is newer and what is younger. But I want, and I'm sure that we all want, the the vibrancy, the the vigour that Caleb spoke of. And in reading my letter at 70 years old, I either want to line up with what my expectations are now or tell myself off for having given in to 
to the negative reports and not take the land that God will still be pointing me at. And what we need is stories, stories to inspire us. And that's what reading and studying about Caleb's life has done for me. And that's why I wanted his defining moments to connect with where we're at. And as I said at the start, that's what reading amazing tales for making men out of boys. That's what that did for me. And the a theme of this book was that times have changed. That those heroes of, of history have been replaced in our culture with hyped up media stars where glamour and arrogance are held up over character and, and self-sacrifice. The book also argues that the opportunities to become heroes are now few and, and far between. And I know that we can romanticise the past and many of the stories that are retold would have been horrendous for the people who lived through them. That said, the author may well be right. Times have changed. The furthest points of the, the planet have been discovered. Battles are, are fought differently now. Someone has stood on the moon. But the more I thought about it, I've realised we meet more heroes than we know. In fact, I do life with heroes there are heroes here in this church, people who often don't get a mention because their lives are relatively ordinary, but they've chosen to give it their best through pain or loss or just keeping going when lesser people may have given up. And the challenge to me, the challenge to us, is that we can be a hero too. Through our following of, of Jesus and living the ordinary life really well, we can be a hero. If we've got children, we can be a hero to our children if we're married, we can be a hero to our husband or wife. If our parents are still with us, we can be a hero to our parents, our friends. We can be a hero to them, to the younger generation coming through. We can be a hero to this church. We can be a hero. We can be a hero. And it isn't, it isn't for the headlines. It isn't for the recognition. At the end of the day, we live this life for an audience of one. And that one is God. There's something, there's something about American sports that seems to make it really work when you're trying to explain something or get a phrase going. And not that I've watched it for a long time, but American football, it has an incredible atmosphere that builds over a, a number of hours and the game is split into four quarters. The first three quarters, if the teams are equally matched, are spent with the lead going back and, and forth as the teams wear each other down. And it's in the fourth quarter where the game gets decided. And a question that I've had in my mind as I've been thinking on this talk is about the fourth quarter. Because coming out of the summer and going into September, it seems to me like the fourth quarter. The final three or four months of the year. And I want to make it count. It's almost as if, like Caleb, we can spy it out. We can look at the, the land that we're going into in this fourth quarter quarter and prayerfully consider how we're going to take it and the phrase that I want to work with as we finish and as we pray and respond to this is the one that we saved where God said about Caleb that he had a, a different spirit now don't get confused with this there is only one Holy Spirit and as Christians the Holy Spirit who is God he dwells within us and we're not looking to change that no that this is more about our approach. And I'd suggest that in all our lives, there may well be something, 
something that could be a, a giant to us, something where we may feel like a, a grasshopper, we're, we're jumpy, or a chameleon, we're, we're merging in and we should be different. Something where we know personally we've become resistant or negative or apathetic or angry or frustrated or unforgiving or cold or, or distant. That is the spirit or the approach that we've got to a person or a situation. And my question or challenge to you and to me is what would a different spirit look like? And I want us to have a moment in silence just to allow God through his Holy Spirit to prompt us, to show us who that person is or what that situation is. And then I want to pray for us as we go into this fourth quarter, this final part of the year, that God can give us a different spirit, a different approach, and just maybe as a result, we'll take that land. So let's have some silence, and then I'm going to pray, and then Lee and the team are going to lead us in one final song. God, you commended Caleb for having a, a different spirit. And it's my prayer now, as, as we've just given you literally seconds, really, to, to prompt us that a person or a, a situation would, would come to mind. And it doesn't have to be massive. In fact, it may well just be in the detail of our lives, but God, you've got an eye for detail. And you want us to get it right, no matter how small it is and God I pray for each of us that's going to be different and I pray that Lord whoever that person is we're thinking of whatever that situation is that we're, we're looking at Lord we wouldn't be grasshoppers that wouldn't be how we view ourselves and we wouldn't be chameleons just merging in Lord I, I pray that you'd give us a different spirit like Caleb, like how you said he had it different to everyone else, 600,000 plus. But he got it right. And Lord, we want to get it right because we want to give our best for you, God. So I pray as we go into the fourth quarter, as we spy out the land, Lord, we wouldn't turn at the border, but we'd go straight into it, led by you, with a different spirit. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.